Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Joining me this week is someone whose name is synonymous with the term high school sports in Southern California. If you follow high school sports, then you know who he is. He's been honored seven times by the California Prep Sports Writers Association for the best prep sports column. And in my opinion, he's the absolute best at covering high school sports. In fact, during the 2006 World Series, Jeff Supon, a Crespi alumni and a St. Louis Cardinals pitcher, was asked who the greatest American sports writer is. And he said, without hesitation, Eric Sondheimer. And now I welcome Eric to my podcast. Eric, that must have brought a, a smile to your face, even though we know you're not in this for the accolades. It, it's pretty cool to get noticed for the job you do. <laughs> yes, it was. It, it all goes back to uh, having him uh, try to hire him to take scores over the phone. And he saw how hard a job it was. He lasted about a week. So that, that was the funny part. But yeah, Jeff is, was a great kid and he's no longer a kid he's got a couple kids i'll be writing about his kids sometimes down the road apparently he's got a kid that's a pretty good baseball player yeah and the daughter is a really good softball player so the supons have been around forever in the san fernando valley so the next generation is coming up i'm hoping i'll be around for uh to cover them too and his sister was uh won a national championship in volleyball at cal state northridge yeah, they have so many soup ponds around. His father was a great chef, and uh, they just uh, love the San Fernando Valley. I remember him. I was driving him around one day, and and he we were going down the 405 freeway into the valley, and he says that's all he loves is seeing the valley and stuff. And so he, you know, he was on several major league teams through the years, but he always stayed in the valley, and, and he opened a restaurant out here, and and he's still living in the Valley. And there's we could talk for hours about all the Valley guys that are playing, that played Major League Baseball. But on another, how are you doing with all this craziness going on? And how is someone that is as busy as you dealing with the shutdown? Definitely a, a interesting uh, question and situation for me. Uh, luckily, the week after it left, I kind of left town. I was planning on going vacation when they decided to cancel the state basketball championships. I took off for a week. I tried to to rest up and see what and think of ideas what I'm going to do if this thing goes uh, indefinitely and sure enough it is indefinitely and so April and May I suspect there are going to be no sports so I'm trying to come up with uh, ideas of how to keep everybody still informed involved entertained and we're, we've we've got some ideas we're going to start breaking out here at the end of this weekend so. Uh, but it is challenging. I'm trying to get ready for football season, even though I don't know if we're going to have a football season or when it will start or when it might end. It's a lot of uncertainty, but all you can do is you always hear people say, control what you can control. And so I'm going to start getting ready for football, doing my series of previewing top players, starting to identify nine top players by their position, and then maybe try and conduct some interviews on the phone and hopefully be able to get out and do some more interviews uh, sometime in June or July if this thing is uh, uh, slows up a little bit. Well, we can only hope now. 
What is the Eric Sondheimer story? I remember when I was coaching football back at Crespi, when, when Eric showed up, it was a big deal. But how did you get involved into the madness that is sports journalism? Well, uh, I started working in uh, writing for the school newspaper in junior high pretty much because I got cut from the, the seventh grade basketball team and I wanted to stay involved and they needed somebody to write about it. And I ended up having more power writing about it than actually sitting on the bench and playing. And of course, I have a, a brother that's three years older and he was involved in writing. So kind of followed in his footsteps, but I'm the one who stayed with it all this long. And I had a great mentor in Pete Koken who used to write in, in the San Fernando Valley at a weekly and quite a character, lived into the 80s, paid me $15 a week to write about Valley sports. <laughs> and, uh, and he used to say, give me $2 so we can make a bet at the racetrack. So I learned how to, to bet at the racetrack too. He loved boxing and he lived in a penthouse in Sherman Oaks, owned the whole place. And he, he, he'd be quite a character for a movie, I would think. <laughs> which is uh, something I, I have plenty of time to write about now. Yeah, I, I read an article where you said that after that incident, you know, being cut from your basketball team, that you can have more influence as a writer than as a player. Now, for somebody in seventh grade, I, I the envision that you had about that, it, it, that's crazy. It's Did you ever envision it becoming what it is today? Uh I, I liked to write. I liked to be involved. You know, I also could see myself as a teacher coach. But through the years growing up, whether it was through high school and then college, I, I began to understand that coaching is way too much pressure and you had to rely on too many people to get your job done. In this way, I'm relying on myself to, to work, outwork everybody, to do my job, to study, to just be a uh, uh, passionate about something to get to the the truth of something and so it was on me more than than coaching and I also got didn't want to have an ulcer I coached for like one season in my album poly high school JV basketball and like one of the first times I was coaching the guy didn't didn't show up to practice I said why is he not here <laughs> and, and yeah it's a pain and I know you coach and and then you got to deal with the parents and I said, why would I want to? And then before the game, I'm going, I'm so nervous. I don't even want to coach. So that, that was a quick exit for me. But um, I, I, you're involved. You get this. People are paying me to cover sports, and I don't think there's anything better than that. The big choice down the road was deciding whether to stay with high schools or to move on up to cover college. Supposedly, quote, move on up to cover college or the pros, because that's what people always ask you. Why? When are you going to go cover the Dodgers? When are you going to go cover the Lakers? Well, I, I certainly could have done that if I wanted to. I probably was closest to leaving to cover maybe a college beat. But I figured out, you know, there are so many great stories at the high school level in L.A. that I was doing. That What's the point? I, I'm writing about them before they get to college and before they become pros. And, yeah, I'm identifying them before anybody else knows them. And that way you get to learn about them see them grow up and down the road, you'll end up uh, knowing them and, and understanding, you know, what they really were like. And that's really played out, you know, from Brett Saberhagen to Jeff Supon, from, from uh, Giancarlo Stanton to, uh, to Russell White. It just goes on and on. And 
And that's one of the uh, the good things about living in L.A. There are so many great athletes that uh, that was one of the reasons why I went to the L.A. Times. I didn't want to just write about Valley athletes. I wanted to expand my horizon. So I went from like 50 schools to several hundred schools and all around Southern California. So it was much more challenging to find trend stories that affected more people than just the San Fernando Valley. So I'm glad that I did that because it challenged me and it still challenges me every day. One of the first people that that you really covered that I I think was the primetime athlete was John Elway, Granada Hills High School. Yeah, for sure. He, it's very rare that the first athlete, the first top athlete you ever cover is a future hall of famer. So unfortunately for everybody else, that's the person I used to compare them to. And they were never going to beat John Elway because he was one of a kind. You know, I, I was work I was covering for the Daily News as a stringer and working part-time for them when Elway was there. And I also happened to be the sports editor at Cal State Northridge when his father was there. So I got a really good insight into the father and the son. And so uh, I, I knew completely that he was different than anybody else at that time. And I can honestly say there's never been a quarterback quite like him that I've ever seen, and there have been a lot of good ones. But for his ability to throw the ball, for his athleticism, you know, he he played basketball a little bit there, then he was a great baseball player, and, of course, a great football player. So and he had a a terrific high school coach in Jack Newmeyer, who was ahead of the game running crazy passing formations when nobody, everybody still wanted to run. And so it was – I don't know. It was perfect timing for me. And there were some pretty good quarterbacks in the Valley back then. And Tom Ramsey over at, at Kennedy and Babe Laufenberg over at Crespi. Um, John Mazur, El Camino. And, and what a time it was for quarterbacks. Do you remember the Elway-Ramsey battles? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they went to the obviously the rival schools, Kennedy and Granada Hills. And there was great debate, you know, who's better as far as leading their team because, you know, Elway certainly had the better arm, but Ramsey was a really good quarterback. And uh, there was a little bit of rivalry there. Luckily, they became good friends, and Ramsey became a an announcer at the uh, Denver Bronco games. So he had great insight into Elway. But, uh, yeah, and they, and they were – that was the time when people actually went to the public schools in their area before going to the private schools, although there was some really good people. You know, Tom Tunnicliffe went to Burroughs. High School, yeah. Yeah, as you said, that that was one of the greatest times to be a quarterback, and people weren't transferring. They were actually going to their schools there and staying for several years, so I think they even got better at that because they trusted their coaches. We weren't into the private coaching, although Elway was the first one to gain kind of national attention. It was right when the the recruiting, national recruiting was starting to come up, Uh, but it was before, obviously, the internet and all that. Now, Ramona Shelburne, um, obviously a tremendous softball player in her, in her own right, covers the NBA, said it was such a big deal to be in Eric Sondheimer's column. If Eric mentioned your name, it was like, oh, my God, I've made it. I, Eric, I still think that holds true because you are out at so many things. And and when people see their name on your Twitter, in your column, it it's still a big deal, and, and you are still so relevant after 40 years. That's got to make you feel good. Well, I appreciate that. It, it's still a challenge because, again, I'm covering a lot more schools, and 
I, I really don't look to try and get just people's names in the column anymore. That's what I used to do. I did a weekly notes column because I my job was kind of to, to get people to just uh, read and get attention. But it's now changed to trying to present story ideas and trends and to let people learn things more than just getting people's names in. But it's still fun to identify young athletes that you think are going to be very good and it gives me an opportunity to to kind of be a, a good observer and to let people know what's happening. I mean, uh, we still are in such a great area. I, I mean, the last high school baseball game that I covered before we had this stoppage was to go out and watch Lucas Gordon pitch for Sherman Oaks Notre Dame because I just knew this guy was going to have his best season ever. And sure enough, in the what turned out to be the last game, he has a perfect game for six and one-third innings against Chaminade. Strikes out eight, walks, uh, I believe it was none. And he was just so good. And it was going to be, I, I just knew he was going to have a great year this year. And that's kind of where I feel so excited when you go out and you're, you were right on your hunch. <laughs> and you get to see this great game that's unfolding before your eyes. And then you get to go home and, and tell everybody about it. And uh, the, the big change for me is that now I tell it in various different ways. You know, I never took a picture really in my life until like six years ago when they asked for volunteers at the LA Times to learn how to shoot video. That was a time when people were getting laid off and nobody really wanted to volunteer to do videos. But I said, wait a second, I, w- I want to learn how to do this. I want to be as versatile as I can. There was about six of us. And to this day, I mean, it's one of the greatest things that I did because now I love shooting video. It's another way to tell the story. I, I can shoot the video and use it as my tape recorder now. And and again, uh, very few – and nobody left in that class is still doing videos. I'm the only one pretty much. And again, uh, the, the papers now expect you to be able to do both. So it was a great way to do that. It was a way to make myself more valuable at that time. And again, you should never not be willing to learn, even though they don't pay you anything more for doing it. It makes your job probably easier and funner to do. And I could see myself just becoming a videographer in my old days if that, in fact, they need somebody because I enjoy doing it. How do you do it? How do you cover so much? You must have 2,000 numbers in your cell phone of coaches, players, and and you're everywhere. How many miles a year do you put on your car? Well, I I can I don't want to really say it because then the insurance company's coming after me. <laughs> but I do have a Tesla, and I love my Tesla, and it gets me into the carpool lane, and so uh, that's very important to me. So um, again, it, it's about picking and choosing. I can't just stay in one area, even though I live in the San Fernando Valley. I got to be able to go out to Orange County, Ventura County. Uh, everywhere and anywhere, if I can, wherever the the story takes me, and so it's really important that I that I get out to see and talk to people. And yeah, the internet's been good to help me because I get to see what else is happening around quickly and trying to come up with story ideas. That's kind of the key in high school sports is the story ideas. Uh, you know, not just writing about the the great players who say, "If I got my 18th offer, I'm blessed to receive that." You know. Uh, there's much more things than just writing about recruits and stuff. And, and that's the hard part is, is finding those stories and telling it. Because I, I, I try to be positive, but 
you also have the negative that's going on. You know, we have all these these private tutor coaches that probably nowadays when we're told to be socially uh, distanced are probably trying to, to train their kids when they shouldn't be. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've seen a lot over the years as, as have I, and, and you mentioned the transfers and the, the private, this and the private that, and, and, you know, you've got some strong opinions and you take a lot of heat for it. Do you feel like you're kind of fighting an uphill battle with this sometimes that, you know, you throw out the, the term transfer and people say, oh, there goes Eric again, just mentioning something. Eric, just let it be because that's the way it is. Right. No, there, there's no doubt that some people do that, but they don't understand. There's lots of people who don't understand what it means to be transfers. There, Yes, there's, there's the old time crowd that's been following it for many years. But the reason why I have to mention it is to, to educate people what really is happening. They don't understand it in a championship game in Division One. The reason why that school is so good is they got this transfer who came in and he's the star of the game. If you go back on virtually every Division One championship in football and basketball the last five to ten years, I can point out to you how that team won with a transfer. And some people don't understand that, and that's all I'm trying to do is educate. I have my opinions, but I'm, I understand that nothing's really going to change. The CIF has decided that they don't want to get sued, and they don't want the legislature to intervene. So they threw up the white flag of surrender several years ago, and they're going to just let it go. I mean, it just depends on how far they're going to let it go. If certain schools keep winning every year, uh, the cry will get even louder. I don't think we want to become like De La Salle up north where they've won over 25 consecutive years of championships. Uh, Modern Day and, and St. John Bosco have played in the Division One final four consecutive years. Um, I'm rooting for them to come back again because maybe at some point somebody will step up and say, are we really going to? sit here and allow this separation to continue without uh, doing something about it. So more for, I'm more for it. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is, is, you know, you look at, Oh, it's the off season, but then uh, no, it's really the quarterback transfer merry-go-round. It, you know, Rollinson really doesn't need to develop a quarterback in modern day because he's knows he's going to have one coming in. Right. It's, it, it's really, it really shows how hard the other coaches have to work with what they got. I mean, I am so why I have a a, a warmness for the city section coaches because I understand the sacrifices they're making just to try and do as well as they can under the working conditions that they have. You know, they get somebody good, that person probably will leave before they're a senior year. And it's hard. You have to find somebody who's in a family who's really special and loyal to keep them if they're any good. Even though coaches are good, working hard, uh, they just have to do it. And it's a sacrifice. I mean, a couple years ago, I did a, a story on the Bernstein coach, uh, Mosaki. Uh, I can't pronounce his last name. But anyway, he, he did a great job. He, to me, he looked like a private school coach. He made his players write letters to his parents, love letters. Uh, and and he got some national attention on that. And I knew he wasn't going to be around very long. And he moved up to Washington. But he's still in touch. And he's still doing what he's doing now at a, a, a public school up there. And so, again, I know what public schools have to go through. I have sympathy for them. Private schools have it a little bit easier. 
but they're also being challenged because they have the pressure to win. You know, they could get fired. Public school coaches really aren't going to get fired. They get to keep their teaching jobs no matter what, usually. So it's a challenge out there. But clearly, like in L.A. City section, they're facing a real challenge. And and now with Narbonne kind of in self-destruct mode, uh, you really won't be seeing a city section team to be able to compete with any Soto section team for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and I think because a lot of the better kids get noticed by the private schools and then, you know, the private schools come with their checkbook and the offer and and then it's very enticing for those kids to say, you know what? Wow. You know, you, you look at, uh, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oaks Christian, who was, I believe, at Dorsey and, you know, they, they waive the, the opportunity of going to Oaks Christian at him and, and he jumped at it and it, it worked out for him. He's starting at Oregon. Right. And there's nothing wrong with families uh, doing that. I just think it should be done when they're freshman year. They don't need to be moving around left and right, uh, going on the recruiting missions and stuff. And, and those schools shouldn't be sending DMs on Twitter to certain people, but it happens. And so it, just trying to hope people play by the same rules, but it's really not being played by the same rules. Yeah, it's kind of tough. And and, and you sympathize for those, the the, the haves and the have-nots, and, and you hope that the have-nots can keep their programs running. We're going to take a break right now and talk about some T-shirts and some betting opportunities for you. Any of you that know me know that formal wear is not my strength. I'm a T-shirt and shorts kind of guy. So what's up with that? True Classic Tees are my favorite. They're an L.A.-based T-shirt company that's on the rise. The T-shirts are soft. They hold up in the wash, and they are incredibly versatile. You can wear them out. You can wear them to work out or around the house. And it sounds like a lot of us are going to be doing a lot of that wandering around the house right now. And the best part, they're incredibly cheap, only $15, and now you can get them for even less. Go to trueclassictees.com and use the code at checkout, B-L-E-A-V, for 20% off. That's B-L-E-A-V at trueclassictees.com. I'm not a big betting guy, but I know a lot of you may be. Even though there's no major sports going on, there's still a lot that you can bet on and have fun by betting at betonline.ag. Even though there are no professional or college sports, there's still a lot going on. Esports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the National Spelling Bee, the $750,000 poker series, there's still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Joining me here on the podcast is Eric Sondheimer, LA Times writer. Eric, over all of the years, what's changed the most that you see not only in how you cover a game, but in the games you cover? Well, it, it clearly basketball has changed the most because when you go to the game now, it's all about the people under the basket with their cameras and video cameras and just trying to get the, the dunk or whatever so they can post it on YouTube or whatever. I mean, it is hilarious from my perspective just to, to see what's happening they go and post dunks on a team that loses by 20 points, and they're happy because that's all it is. It's about they forgot it. They don't care what the score is, 
And so from my perspective, I'm a professional journalist and, and that's kind of not what, what I'm in it to. Yes, I will, will be shooting video trying to, to capture the, what's happening in the game. And yes, if there's a great dunk, I might post that on Twitter, but it, it's more involved from my perspective. But there's a lot of people just go to the games now trying to, to, to be the best in social media and stuff. And it, it's very strange to me. Do you think when you watch basketball, let's go back several years where, you know, there were, it wasn't just one guy dribbling the ball up top, then trying to go in and take somebody one-on-one and dunk it. Do you think from your perspective that the fundamentals have kind of left the game and people rely too much on athleticism? I think clearly schools and coaches are no longer running plays a whole lot. It just did drive and dish, drive and dish. So that's all about athleticism. At least the top teams are. And in basketball, uh, the transfer part of it has really affected things to a tremendous degree. I mean, Sierra Canyon had five transfers this past year. They won a, They were going to win a state title. I can't say they won a state title because we never played it. The previous year, they had five transfers and they won the state title. So clearly that's where we're at. But we're on a, a, a year, a, an year of great players. I mean, there were some a tremendous players this past season. We're just a couple years uh, from where Chino Hills was was went thirty five and zero with the Ball Brothers. So it, it's been a great couple years of basketball. There's some a great class of sophomores. We have the best freshmen in the nation playing here in Juju Watkins from Windward. So these are definitely fun times and. I'm, tr- again, trying to maintain the level of focus on the games, the people themselves, more than the entertainment value where the fans are trying to do it. And who knows what things going to be like in the coming years here. We're, we're dealing with the coronavirus, and fans may or may not be allowed to go to games or sit next to each other. Yeah, it's, it, it is crazy. And and when you look at those people, like the, the athleticism that we have in the Sierra Canyons in basketball and and the modern days in Bosco's and football, it's the it's these super teams that are being created. Do, do you think that, you know, if you're in, in football, you know that probably your final four next year, if they play, you're going to be Mission Viejo, Centennial, Bosco, Modern Day. Is that kind of, I, I don't know, frustrating for a lot of teams to think that, you know what, yeah, we want to shoot for that, but the reality is, you know what, we, we know that we can't compete. I would say so, especially for the public schools, that maybe you get one great team every four years. I mean, that's the way it used to be because it it's supposed to be that you, you try to build up from your freshman year on, and so you have all these great seniors on your team, and then you have to rebuild. The thing in the new year is there is no more rebuilding because transfers help them avoid that, and that's what's been happening. St. John Bosco and Modern Day do not have rebuilding years anymore. I think this this coming year, if we have football, Sierra Cannon is gonna is gonna try and break into that top four. They're gonna kind of do what Oaks Christian did a couple years ago when they broke into there. This is their probably best team. They have their quarterback back. They played a bunch of young players. They got some transfers in on the line. So I look for them to try and break in there. And Alamany has a great quarterback in Miller Moss, and also some transfers in on the line. Everybody has kind of learned you need some linemen. Otherwise, you will not be able to compete with Centennial, Modern Day, 
and uh, St. John Bosco. Yeah, and Sierra Canyon just got Kenji Swanson, who's as big as a condominium complex from from St. Francis, and and they are they are hell bent to get to that Division One level and and prove that they can compete. Yes, it'll be interesting to see. I, I still think they'll end up being like Oaks Christian. They had a great year, but then they got routed by St. John Bosco in the semifinals. It's just so much for the the size factor and the the strength factor on the line to overcome in a one-time situation. It's just a totally different experience, and that's kind of why Modern Day and Bosco have separated themselves from everybody. Yeah, you look at those offensive line and their their college size offensive line. Now let's let's go back thirty years, however long we want. Do you think guys from those eras, from that era way back then, would be able to be successful today? And and do you think that kids today, with you know all of the private training, do you think they would dominate the game, say twenty five years ago? Uh, that that would depend on the sport. Uh, obviously, some would be able to do well, but. You had a lot more multi-sport athletes back then. I think uh, it would be interesting to see if they would still be able to be multi-sport athletes because there's so much pressure to excel and, and play year-round on a particular sport. Giancarlo Stanton uh, was a great football, basketball, baseball athlete. So I'm so happy that he was able to do that. I mean, football, he was making great catches. Basketball, he could do everything but shoot free throws. <laughs> and, of course, in baseball, he was terrific. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say how they would do, but we have so few ones uh, going on. But it's so strange because if you look in the NFL draft, most of the players are the first-round picks will be multi-sport athletes. They'd be football and maybe track. So I don't understand why that mess is not uh, going down to more people their parents and the coaches well i i think i have my opinion i think it's it's the club coaches and the travel coaches that are saying hey you know mr smith you know mrs jones your kid is going to be really really good um i think he's the best at what he's doing so just make sure that that check clears that you write to me at the end of the month right there's no doubt the the club coaches the travel coaches they have become far more uh, influential than ever before and uh, it's interesting when I go to basketball games and I'm, I listen in closely and you see who's doing the coaching. Is it the coach on the court or is it the guy in the stands? And they're looking up and I just shake my head. I just, I, I would, that's why I didn't go into coaching. I do not want somebody else to be influencing what you're trying to get across. And as a coach these days, I'm sure that you have to make some compromises I certainly wouldn't have been willing to make those compromises. And I asked my good friend, Steve Miller, who coached at Fairfax in North Hollywood, if he would be willing to coach these days. And his answer was, would be quickly no. Yeah, it's, it's tough because when you're trying to tell a young man or a young lady something, and the first thing they do after they make a play or make a mistake is look up into the stands at mom and dad and not look over at the coach for any correction. I, I that's why I'm glad I coach golf. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and and it's hard to get a club coach to really tell the truth because they have they have a conflict of interest. If you tell somebody the truth and they don't like it, they might leave and they're going to take away a paycheck probably or something. And, so it's hard. And it's a huge business for these club coaches. When you look at the amount of money it costs to play 
club soccer, you're, you're better off putting your money in a trust fund over the 10 years your kid plays club soccer because there aren't very many full scholarships in soccer. You got 35 kids on a team and a coach gets 12 scholarships. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with the NCAA granting another year of eligibility for everybody from the spring. Uh, we're now in like a two or three year cycle where it's kind of kind of caused some issues at high school and college level. It'll be interesting to see if they up the amount of scholarships for kids because you've already got a freshman class coming in. You've probably already got some kids that are a year away that have committed to your program. So how they're going to balance the numbers will be, I'll be interested to see how creative they get with that. Right. And especially they better have a football scene because there's going to be no money for increasing spring scholarships. If, there's no football season. Well, if there's no football season, I think we're all going to be flipping out, going nuts. Yes, um, uh, reporting is reporting. You know, reporting a game is reporting a game. Um, social media has made things more available, more instantaneous, more, you know, right away. But what what has changed in journalism for you over the years besides the social media aspect of it? Well, it's it's the social media aspect, as you said, it's made it instantaneous and it's really put the pressure on on you to decide whether you want to some, do something instantaneous and be sure that you're correct or do it and just hope you're correct. And it's where, where mistakes are made, whether that's spelling somebody's name wrong or trying to be in a hurry uh, to get a score out and making a mistake that not wasn't purpose. But I'm tr- I've learned that, that you really want to be correct more than first. And it's really important for your, your credibility. Obviously, uh, in politics, we have major debates going on. The media is cascaded. And it really, it really bothers me because I grew up in the time of Watergate when the press was, were heroes in uncovering the wrongdoing by the president. And, and yeah, there's far more media now that takes sides in various ways, but we still haven't trained people to understand the difference between opinion and, and news and stuff. And as a sports writer, now with social media, we're, we're putting our opinions a little bit more into it. And people, I get, wish, would understand that on Twitter, you have more freedom to express yourself. Uh, what I say on Twitter would be is totally different than what I would say in a news story and stuff, unless I'm writing a column and that's where you can use your opinion. But I I guess people are confused a little bit and I I understand that. But my job is to to try and maintain my credibility that A, that I'm accurate, B, that I'm fair and and C, that I'm going to hear both sides and, and try to be professional about it. What I get annoyed about is coaches who aren't professional, you know, that, they're nice to you the whole time, and then something happens to them, and suddenly they they turn on you. Like, they won't report the score because they're mad at something you wrote. That's being unprofessional, and it really is something that I, I don't forget. And so, you know, I don't know what to do. The principals don't seem to care anymore. Far more principals have no sports backgrounds whatsoever, so they don't really care. The athletic directors have to deal with the parents, so... But I, I think it's good to have a good working relationship with the media because we're all disappearing. You know, there's far less reporters out there than ever before. 
and papers are now owned by one uh, industry, the daily, the daily news, the register, the Long Beach Press Telegram, the papers, the Riverside Press Enterprise, they're all owned by the same person. You have, and so it's, you really have to be careful and, and understand that what's happening. And I think that the, the crazy thing is, is everybody wants their school to get the publicity. They want their athletes to get the publicity. Coaches want their, their players to get the publicity. But like you mentioned, if you write something that's factual, that may not be flattering to a coach, they get mad at you. And, and now you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Like, do I now continue to cover this guy? Because I know he's not going to give me what I need to write a story, which is not best for the kids. Right. And there, there's still many coaches who embrace the, the media, but yeah, it's, it, it surprises me. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say, uh, you know, one of the top football schools, the coach got mad at me because I wrote something and, and, and I was surprised at how he changed so quickly. And, you know, it's just shows that it can be anybody, but they don't understand. I've been doing this for more than 40 years. I've, I've outlasted everybody, and so they can treat me whatever way they want to, but I'm still going to be around. I'm going to do my job the best I can. I'm going to tell the truth. They don't want me to write about transfers. That's tough. My job is to educate everybody and to do my job, and and that's what I'm trying to do. And, and uh, yeah, we may have some misunderstandings, but it's up to them to, to be professional, in my opinion, because I'm always trying to be professional. People try to provoke me, and, and it's not going to work. And you see the coaches that they want, they want you to be professional sometimes or all the time, but then they're going to throw their little temper tantrum. And now you're not going to cover their school. And and I'm not sure that's a, being a good role model or setting the example for the kids because then the kids see, Hey coach, how come nobody's covering our program? How come we don't have any writers at our game? And you know, then with social media and everything they, it's not too difficult for them to track down the reasons why. Right. Well, I have a choice. I get to pick and choose out of hundreds of people. And I, I'm not playing games anymore. I'm getting a little bit old. I need a little bit of help as far as a, a press seat. You know, I'm not asking for a lot electricity. But, you know, we had a big problem at the CIF basketball championships because the CIF decided to sell all the tickets to all the, the crazy people who wanted to see Sarah Canyon and make some money. They put the media way up at the pyramid and we couldn't see people would stand and we could not see that was totally unprofessional and they didn't want to discuss it back then. I hope they learned their lesson because all of us in the, the media where we were sitting started posting videos of people's backs and, and that did not come out good for the Southern section. And I hope they learned a lesson that they would put us back up there again. Uh, you know, I, I'll just go somewhere else. I really don't. The city section is going on at the same time. So I, I just prefer to be treated as a professional. They wouldn't have put people up there if it was the Super Bowl like that. But I understand they had the pressure, but I hope they learned the lesson because I certainly learned something from that. And, and, and not being real tall, you know, those of us with people in front of us, we it, it's kind of tough for us to see. Hey, you know, you look at the immense explosion of travel ball teams and club teams, and, and we touched on it a little bit ago. I've got mixed feelings about it. But do you think, in your opinion, and, and I, I've got my opinion, I'll share it after I hear your answer, that all of these kids and parents chasing that scholarship and, and not playing 
high school sports and focusing more on the travel. Do you think that by the time you and I, you know, you hang up your, your laptop and I hang up my whistle that we will see some high school sports disappear? You know, it's, it's possible. I mean, I, I think clearly there's some sports where playing for the club team is more important than high school. And so it just depends on, so, uh, you know, for years people have tried to find a club way for football. You know, the seven on seven is supposedly the, the equivalent to AAU basketball, but they haven't been able to pull it off. You know, if, if they ever figured out a way to do it in football and they keep trying, then I would say that would be happening. But so far, uh, they haven't. Uh, but, you know, soccer, that's where the recruiting is going on, the club programs, softball, club programs, volleyball, club programs. So we've seen the slow uh, situation going on, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's some great coaching going on in those areas. I think, that though, that everybody that I've talked to, there's some there's some importance in playing for your high school team, particularly in soccer. The kids are, are being given a choice in boys soccer, whether to play for the academy league it's called, or you play for your high school team. You don't get a choice. And I've talked to those kids and they, the ones who come back are so happy about it because they learned that you're, there's no guarantees of getting a scholarship at the playing for the academy league. Well, and there was a young man at Simi Valley high school, I think was a daily news player of the year came back from his academy team this year, played high school, and had something like 25 goals. And, and from the article I read, the young man just really enjoyed himself playing with his neighborhood buddies. Right. And you only get one chance to play high school. And those are the memories you create. Those are friends you you get to meet. The clubs is, is just, you're already trying to be a professional. So uh, I guess maybe sometimes it is good because you get to find out if you're ready for that too. But to me, it's it's so ridiculous when you make people decide one or the other. Um, they just the, the USA Soccer just made a, a terrible decision in trying to force that upon people, and it certainly hasn't helped them in soccer because I haven't seen the USA team doing a whole lot. Do we even have a men's national team in soccer? Not in my opinion. <laughs> Hey, real quick before I let you go, I one of your hobbies is is traveling, and you go to Africa a lot. Is that an annual thing for you? And and how did that come to be? That a lot of people go to Europe, Hawaii, but you go to Africa. I do not go every year. That's like my friend Steve Miller. I've gone a, a couple times uh, of that, and and I've enjoyed it. But he tries to go every other year. But yeah, it's fun. I think everybody should. Try to go on a safari because it's so uh, so interesting to see the the unbelievable animals out uh, on their own and the the wildlife and they got great tents. I, I, the first time I went there, I thought I'm going to be in a tent. It's camping. Well, it's it's as good as a hotel room. That these tents they've improved a lot. They actually have a toilet in there. But my my problem with Africa is the is uh, the lack of uh, Wi-Fi because I'm a news hound and I need Wi-Fi near me. So people don't understand when I go on vacation, I'm also working. I'm doing roundups. <laughs> so I need Wi-Fi. I may try to do my first cruise this coming year. We'll see, depending on if we get back to some normal. But I, I like, I travel a lot to Asia. I love Vietnam and, and Thailand and Bali and all those places. Just uh, I love the beaches and it's so nice to, to meet different people and I feel so uh, safe walking out at night 
that it, it's that's kind of lets me re- relax a little bit and I get to read at least one book on these trips and that helps me write better. And I, I think we're all pretty much staying away from cruises for the moment. Right. <laughs> yes. So I haven't ever gone on a cruise and I'm not about to begin at this point. <laughs> hey, before I let you go, a couple of questions for you. Best high school football team you've ever seen. Well, I, I would say it would be the 2014 St. John Bosco team, Josh Rosen and, and and company where they beat De La Salle and went sixteen and zero. I believe it was two thirteen or two fourteen. Uh, to me, and they sent so many players onto the college ranks, and their line was so good. Uh, I, I would pick that one. Best high school football player you've ever seen? Well, in high school, I would say Russell White when he was at Crespi as a sophomore, nineteen eighty six, took a program that did nothing and they won Division One, beat Bosco. I mean. That was the end. Nobody's ever done that before as a sophomore. And it, he he was an amazing player. Didn't turn out as well as ever we all thought, but he still got to the pros and, and he overcame uh, some issues in, in the classroom with uh, dyslexia. So you have to admire him. And now he's a high school coach. He's really, he fulfilled everything. He got his degree and really set a great example for everybody. I, I remember, uh, he was one of the first to hold press conferences where everybody was going to. Everybody was making fun of him academically because he was a Prop 48 guy, but it really wasn't his fault, and he never let that get to him. And he, he's really demonstrated the what it, the toughness it takes to, to deal with all that. And the crazy thing about his sophomore year is he never carried the ball more than 20 times a game, and he averaged over 12 yards a carry. Right. He was amazing, and I'll never forget – the game, I think it was the next year where they filled Birmingham High School. I've only seen sold out once, and that was against Loyola Crespi. And uh, more than 10,000 fans to come out for that game. And that's never going to happen again, I don't think, unless they bring the Rams to play there. Yeah, and that was the only team ever to hold them under 100 yards. Best high school basketball team you ever saw? Well, it's – the best team was Chino Hills, no doubt about it. They're going to have five players from the M or four players make it to the NBA from the starters, and uh, and the Ball brothers. Uh, that was quite a year. Just I had fun, although the the father Lavar did, did deteriorate a little bit. So, <laughs> but uh, the kids were great. He allowed them to do whatever they wanted, talk whatever they wanted, and I admired him at the time that he he went against the grain. And they're they're all great kids, you know. I Lamelo, Lonzo, and Leangelo uh, really uh, were great examples. And then uh, Onika is just a great person. He's going to be a first round pick. And Eli Scott's the underrated one down the road. He'll go back for one more year, Loyola Marymount, and then maybe get a shot. Best high school basketball player you ever saw? Well, uh, you know, I like Dom McLean years ago. He was a instant offense and uh he, he played so well as see me but the best player was john williams out of crenshaw i mean he was just a man among boys and nobody could touch him in high school um best baseball player you ever saw on the best baseball team well you know robin yount was good i I'm, I'm trying to remember if i ever saw him he was close to when i was in high school but, uh, you know, uh, Stanton was really good, became a great player. I, I'm into to pitching and Brett Saberhagen and to watch a no-hitter in the city championship game at Dodger Stadium at Cleveland High School. Nothing's going to top that. 
that that was amazing to me and one of the the highlights of my uh, covering high schools before. And the person you've had the most fun covering. Oh, Bill Riddell, always good for a funny quote. <laughs> to, tries to take me out to lunch. <laughs> yeah, uh, he he knows how to woo and do the uh, woe the media with food. I'll tell you that much. I forgot to tell you the best high school baseball team was Jack McDowell, 1984. They're the best team that didn't win a championship. They lost in the sem- they were unbeaten and lost in the semifinals because Jack McDowell's brother decided not to pitch Jack. And they lost. That was kind of stupid. <laughs> I saw him throw a no hitter against Crespi back in that during that time, and wow, you could just hear the pop of the mitt from his fastball. He was something special. You could also hear the f words coming out of him at the umpires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this with me. We could, I could talk to you for hours about high school sports and and going back, and it's it's always a pleasure to see you out covering games and, and just talking and, and, and listening to the, to the discussions with guys like Randy Rosenblum and, and Fred Robledo and, and whoever else happens to be there. Um, it, it's been a pleasure and, and, and hopefully we get football season going and, and, and we get to see each other during the fall. Yes, I appreciate it. Just please save me a seat because they always let you to see first. We are at the lower level now. Well, but they- You send me a text, and I will put a chair right next to us when we're Thank if we're at a game. Thank you very much. All Take right, care. Eric, thanks so much. Have, have a great rest of the week. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. If um, you've got any suggestions for me, please hit me up at TonyMoskal at gmail.com or at Twitter at TonyMoskal. Unprecedented times here with the coronavirus crazy that we're still going through it. Hopefully things get back on track. And until the next time, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.